This podcast is offered to you by Zen Center North Shore on the web at www.zencenternorthshore.org. This program is made possible by donations from listeners like you. It's just so funny in this age of Zoom that part of the preparation, sitting down, fixing the robes, and then clicking unmute. <laughs> it's just funny. So good morning. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Kate, diving in as the Sunday morning Kokio. I want to talk more about a little bit the surround of that whole Dharma, arising Dharma of Kate as the... Um, Sunday morning Kokio, and to Emily, thank you very much. Those are very supportive bells. Um, the advantage of Zoom is I can see <laughs> what needs to be adjusted here. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> At any rate, um, and then all of you for, you know, I, I feel like this is, we're exploring now that we've made the decision to go, okay, 100% virtual for the next year. This is our reality. There's still no vaccine. There's still clearly a lot of confusion across the nation, across the planet. Um, you know, the second wave is happening in many places. The first wave didn't really end. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, as we march on toward the November election. There's just a lot that's whipped up. So primarily a Zen center, a practice place, can be supportive and nurturing and steadying, stabilizing. <laughs> so that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for a schedule that we've had for eight years. There have been a few shifts but for the most part, it's our same schedule, predictable. And then the rest is kind of fine-tuning, you know, according to conditions, according to the particular physical practice space we're in. And now, according to this commitment to a virtual space where we can, we can adjust with always in mind this thought of what is conducive to steadying, to stabilizing. You know, some practice places, some Zen centers across the country, or everybody's asking, how are you dealing with ceremony? How are you dealing with ritual? And um, we are too, we're playing with this. And so I, I just want to acknowledge that this morning it felt very supportive. Um, some people are really longing for a more fleshed out experience, you know, that it not be so disembodied. So is there a way that even when we're, I always forget, is this one dimensional or two, this is two dimensional, right? Because one dimensional is a dot <laughs> or something. <laughs> okay. Oh, Wendy, that is brilliant. Because what I wanted to talk about this morning, this talk is called the vertical and the horizontal. Oh my gosh, that's two dimensions. <laughs> wow. Magical, mysterious. Um, so, well, interesting. How do we flesh out the two-dimensional into three-dimensional or multi-dimensional? That's what our challenge is. That's what this talk is about. So... Um, I think it is possible. I think we can I think we can override the two-dimensionality of Zoom and computers energetically in the same way that energetically we offer well-being ceremonies. Some people feel and I'm one of them that we offer a well-being ceremony not just for the people on the list um, sending them good vibes or sending them metta, radiating metta out. You know, truthfully, I've, I've wondered, you know, does, how does that really work? Um, but Darlene, my teacher, 
um, when she was diagnosed with cancer, ovarian cancer, which she ultimately died of, we um, were chanting for her every day at San Francisco Zen Center, Blanche and I and a few others. Um, we chanted the Enmei Juku Karangyo 21 times. And Darlene, she was kind of shamanic in a way. She was born on Halloween. She was kind of witchy. <laughs> and she had on her altar like a vial of menstrual fluid, her own. She was really kind of wild. Very made some people un, you know, kind of uncomfortable. Maybe even say, me saying that word made a few of you uncomfortable. But hey, it's the body, uh, the female body. And um, anyway, Darlene really appreciated, really felt the metta coming toward her, coming into her, coming from the ten directions. She really appreciated it, was very grateful for it, and felt the benefit of it. I have felt more kind of uh, predominantly, I guess, more acutely or more naturally given my own upbringing, I guess. I attribute it to being from New Hampshire and being super practical, you know, that it's, it, it's, it's about those who put people on the well-being list to help us deal with our own feelings of helplessness, that we can't solve our loved one's problems especially if it's something like someone's suicidal, someone's dealing with addiction. You know, a lot of this stuff kind of plays out over time. It's not really acute. It's more chronic. So how do we be there for people in an ongoing way without falling into that trap of codependency, you know, so that this could be supportive for us to empowering that we're keeping them in mind even though we're not getting in there tinkering with their lives. So, and so I'm always turning this in my mind energetically, you know, like, and I've been studying for the last four months or so since the pandemic started in this country, playing with the loving kindness guided meditation on Saturday nights. I feel like I've learned a lot doing those for people about the power of practicing metta and radiating it out into the world. So I feel bodily some deeper connection with this energetic practice. Um, and so that's what I'm turning in my mind about Zoom as an energetic practice, as an energetic dharma, as an energetic arena, you know, space. So this two-dimensionality, how can we, you know, <laughs> love that, you know, work with that. So, and I also want to say about Darlene, this Dharma talk, you know, for the most part, I'm not using notes. A lot of, it seems to be the way I offer Dharma is I'm studying this. To me, this feels fresh. Maybe it's more of an artist coming at it. Some people, like Darlene was a scientist. She studied, I can't remember what she studied. Um, and she had prepared notes, and it always, it, 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 she was super organized, and I admire that. And she wrote books and stuff, and so I admire that discipline. And I also felt a little bit, it was a little bit too put together for me. <laughs> Darlene, okay, all right, Darlene. <laughs> but this is, this is the, pay attention, this is the practice of teacher-student forever, and this is also the vertical and the horizontal. Yes, Darlene was my teacher, vertical. She was my root teacher, my heart teacher. And the horizontal is that I'm alive and I'm still studying. You know, and even when she was alive, it was still this dynamic tension, and I, I feel like that's the spirit of Zen. This is not a cult. You know, we don't have gurus where we just, we're, we're lemmings. <laughs> we just all slide into the ocean. I guess unless it's the ocean of enlightenment. <laughs> I don't know. At a certain point, it's all just inquiry. Like, what is this sliding into the ocean? With full awareness, do I slide into the ocean? As opposed to, well, I'm just sliding into the ocean because that's what the teacher's doing. <laughs> um... So this, you know, an artist perhaps, and those who consider themselves artists here, maybe you might relate with this, 
um, that this is more of an inquiry, like, let me study this. There's a freshness, there's a not-knowingness here. Um, so I'm studying this horizontal and vertical, because it came up this last week, and I said I was going to talk about this. It came up in the context of our playing with um, the forms, like really trying to together discover something that would be supportive. And I do feel that this is like a democracy. In a democracy, some people may think that the most important role is who we elect president. Thank God some of us don't feel <laughs> that that's the case. <laughs> that democracy is messy, clearly. You know? It's a work in progress. And poignantly, it's aspirational. In this country, I personally, and maybe some of you agree, don't believe that we've ever true, we've arrived truly at a democracy, or maybe even democracy itself is problematic, structurally, and we're seeing that. Um, but at any rate, the aspects of democracy that we've aspired to, justice for all, you know, pursuit of happiness for all, all human beings created equal, that kind of stuff, <laughs> we haven't really arrived at fully knowing that and fully manifesting, manifesting that. Um, but so it said, and I agree wholeheartedly as a Zen practitioner, a Zen teacher, um, that the most important job in a democracy is a citizen, is the one who votes for the president. And that this voting for the president, whole worlds are contained there. It's not just the final act of voting for the president. It's what leads to that. With what mind do I vote for whom? Or do I even vote? So this is the horizontal. With what mind do I vote for whom? Or do I even vote? This is ownership. This is I now fully avow being alive, being in my life being in this work in progress called America. There's so much potential here, and there's so much, because there's so much potential, it's so creative, it's so open, there's so much possibility for um, major problems. So in Zen, and, and in general maybe, the vertical without the horizontal, risks tyranny. And more subtly, um, it risks like guru worship. It risks, you know, codependency. It risks me handing my life over, me losing my sovereignty, me losing my freshness, me dying. <laughs> um, and then the horizontal without the vertical there is something in here, and this is what I'm studying. The horizontal without the vertical, there might, there might, at risk there, might be a strong container that's discernible, that provisionally might be like a bassinet. <laughs> provisionally. Where you get to be a baby Buddha, and you just get to be, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you know, kind of cared for provisionally. You don't have to worry about what comes next. The strong container of the schedule means that the bell's going to ring. If it rings twice, that means get up and practice walking meditation. Stretch your legs. And if it rings once, that means it's time, no more zazen for the moment. We're going to chant, you know, we're going to have a meal. We're going to end, you know, and log off. So that's my job, representing the vertical aspect here, training in something specific called Zen. And it is a very specific practice. I'm not open for feedback when it comes to that. 
except I may ask for it at certain points, like, okay, now that we're in Zoom and two of us are unmuted, what's going on with the bell? Can you really hear it? That's when we, I ask for the horizontal, let's engage with this together, because at this point in the age of Zoom, you know, Dogen didn't train. We didn't, I didn't train specifically. This is how we handle Zoom. So, you know, it's on me to some degree to hold the vertical and it's on you to some degree to hold the horizontal. And this is it, but it doesn't mean that I don't hold the horizontal too. And it doesn't mean that you're not holding the vertical too. (laughs) It can't be just one or the other. But there may be a little bit more of one and a little bit more of the other because of our position in the mandala, our dharma position. So, for instance, part of the reason that it can be so supportive right now, what I mentioned, the service, is because Emily's position in the, in the mandala right now, this morning, is ringing the bell. If one of you started to ring a bell too, it would be cacophonous, it would hurt, it would be dissonant, discordant. We would not be able to take refuge in the Sangha treasure and bring harmony to everyone free from hindrance. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) It would not be harmonious. Emily's role in the mandala, her dharma position is to ring the bell. And Kate's position in the mandala this morning on Sunday mornings is to lead us in the chanting. We've discovered that if we all unmute and we all try to chant, it doesn't work. It's painful. So with that kind of clarity, and it's its, its own kind of vertical too, um, individually, we let go. And we're able to be in the two-dimensional, the vertical and the horizontal, And there's a certain spirit, a certain attitude that I would call trust, faith, that fleshes this out, that fleshes out the vertical and the horizontal beyond the two-dimensional. And this faith and this trust, you know, I see when people crest a little bit and they relax into faith and trust of the forms and ceremonies of this lineage. (laughs) They can relax. But it's not just the faith and and the trust in that, those forms and ceremonies is something outside you. It's ultimately faith and trust in your own sovereignty, taking your place within these forms and ceremonies. So at that point, the forms and ceremonies are not outside tyrannizing you, telling you what to do. (laughs) They're coming from within because you feel them to be deeply supportive. And that's what I wish for all of you. And that's what I'm trying so hard to do in my role as the guiding teacher of this Zen Center. Is to help you to get to that point where you crest. And you see these forms and ceremonies as coming from within you. It's exactly like the precepts. As morality. Not being something imposed on you. Do not do this. Do not kill but coming from within, with full awareness, with tender-heartedness, with wholeheartedness, I vow not to kill because I want to be happy. I want to be fully in my life, not closeted. I don't want to be hiding out somewhere. I don't want to be, you know, living with little pockets of shame. So the second thing I want to share around this, this vertical and this horizontal, is Dogen at a certain point. Dogen Zenji, um, when he was a monk in Japan and he knew he wanted to do something, he had a maverick spirit. He was seeing that Zen was dying in Japan or Zen was dead, that it had become maybe too vertical. The people, the citizens, the practitioners had given over, that they stopped experiencing the forms and ceremonies as arising from within and expressing something true and something natural 
something real and alive. So he was like, I'm out of here. And he got on a boat and he went to China. Because that was at a certain point, you know, after Shakyamuni died, and he had said to his monks, it's on you now. Here you go. Do it. <laughs> Don't think that this is dying with me, one person. I'm out of here. It's on you. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And it took a while, and there was a lot of intrigue, and there was division, and we have, as a result, all these wonderful different schools today. But it's, it was messy. But at any rate, there, was, there were different veins, and our particular vein with Dogen as our kind of hero, um, was from India, traveled to China through Bodhidharma, and then we say, as we just invoked, as Kate just invoked on our behalf, from China, Bodhidharma, through Dogen Zenji in Japan. So Dogen went back to China to try to find the source, to rekindle, to find the ember, and rekindle it, and bring it back with him to Japan. And so we had these big aspirations going to China to find something. And he did. He made contact with Ru Jing, his Dharma father, his teacher, who simply said to him, you know, dropping body-mind, what we're doing here is nothing other than dropping body-mind. And Dogen, in that moment, experienced an opening that he walked through forever. Um, but when he came back and people asked him, so what did you bring back? Clearly something happened. What did you bring back? And he said, I simply, with my master Rujing, Tendo Nyojo, quietly verified that the eyes are horizontal and the nose is vertical. From now on, I cannot be misled by anyone. I have returned home empty-handed. It's so good to see some of you smiling. <laughs> Yeah, so you're the Dharma. I simply, with my master Rujing, Tendo Nyojo, quietly verified that the eyes are horizontal and the nose is vertical. From now on, I cannot be misled by anyone. I have returned home empty-handed. So this is natural. It's natural that the eyes are horizontal and the nose is vertical. It's natural for a human being that that is so. So there's a naturalness to this that we, I think we, we aim for in a way in shikantaza of this just sitting. This is just opening naturally to the present moment. And again, this is what I've been exploring on Saturday nights. Is oh yeah, just the naturalness of the sitting. Even though we call it a guided meditation and it's not technically shikantaza, underneath the category of guided meditation and shikantaza, it is. And that's why I love it when Zen people were coming on Saturday nights, because I could say, go ahead, just sit Zazen. <laughs> and my voice will just be one of these things that's arising and subsiding. And you don't have to glom onto the content of it. But maybe something will stick there. That's, that's okay, too. It's wide open. So this naturalness of just being with whatever is in this moment and then the next moment. And Dogen says, <clears throat> from now on, I cannot be misled by anyone. I've returned home empty-handed. This empty-handed is there's nothing extra. This returning home is, you know, this naturalness of being without any pretense, without any striving. And this not being misled by anyone. So, you know, this not being misled by anyone he first invokes his teacher. This is the vertical. And not being misled by anyone is the horizontal. It's me also saying, Darlene, 
Oh, I didn't share with you. She used to talk about me, my undigested whatever, (laughs) about my process of communication as being undigested. Whereas I'm calling her process is not so process-oriented, but results-oriented. She would read her notes. I value undigested as an artist being in process of actively, vibrantly, livingly inquiring. (laughs) That's what I value. That's me not being misled by my teacher. That's me not saying, darling, give it to me. You know, I'm unworthy. But she also, you know, would say, um, there's a practice here also. There is a practice. It's a challenge. It's not easy. It's intimate, meaning it's, we don't really know. We will fall too far on one side of the vertical and too far on one side of the horizontal. And together, Buddha to Buddha, teacher to student, in the thicket, or guiding teacher and practitioner, um, we sort of, I'm trying to avoid saying figure it out, but we go along together. As long as you keep showing up, as long as we keep showing it up, showing up, we get to play with this, we get to dance with this. You know, I lastly just want to say, um, there's also something in here about Zen Master Shotu, what he shares with us around this this question of returning home, not being misled, this naturalness, this spirit of playing with vertical and horizontal, settling into that with kind of an attitude of this, I'm building my grass hut. And it keeps being covered by weeds, but it's okay. I'll keep sweeping. And I will prepare a meal and I'll eat it and then I'll relax and enjoy a nap. (laughs) You know? And I will simultaneously or some part of me will simultaneously know that even as the weeds are appearing and even as my life is passing I will know that the Master is present right here. And that My process is, you know, connecting with the vertical, making contact with the ancestral teachers, respecting them, honoring them, and continuing to walk, hands open, innocent. There's a quality I feel in that text, the song of the grassroof hut, that's a very summery feeling. <laughs> you know, as I'm sitting here, you know, we're, we're sitting together, we're doing this formal practice and just outside the window, full on New England summer. You know, to enjoy the full on New England summer, to enjoy your ardor, your sincerity, that brought you to sit this morning on this beautiful summer morning. And pretty soon, we'll have a little back and forth. Maybe you'll share anything that's coming up for you. We'll take refuge together, the bell will ring, and then you go forth and you enjoy this summery New England morning. thing. You know, this thing about sharing this new, uh, enjoying this New England morning, the enjoyment body, Sambhogakaya, one of the three bodies of Buddha along with the Nirmanakaya, the manifestation body of the vertical, our, our teacher, Shakyamuni. (laughs) It's interesting. 
there's a way in which with the trikaya, the nirmanakaya body, the manifestation body of Buddha, in this sense, he's one of us, horizontal, fleshly, with a body that wants to swim, that needs to eat, that needs to excrete, you know, the whole thing. The dharmakaya, the dharma body, maybe that's ultimately the vertical, the unknowable. We don't really know why we sit. We don't really know why we practice, why, why we go to all this trouble, you know, sitting in robes on a summer morning sweating. <laughs> there is something in me that is so glad, that feels so met by wearing these robes and sweating. There's something in me that knows making that kind of effort allows me to more deeply enjoy the cool Atlantic <laughs> in an hour or so. <laughs> So the shikantaza, what is dropping off body and mind? Dropping off body and mind is zazen. If you simply practice zazen at that moment, you're free. Dropping off body and mind means opening the hand of thought and returning to zazen a billion times. This is Uchiyama Roshi. Dropping off body and mind is not some sort of special, mysterious experience. It's one breath, and then the next breath, and then the next breath. And Uchiyama says, billions of breaths. <laughs> and he said, you might think, can't I just take all those billions of breaths in one breath and get it over with? <laughs> you. Sambhogakaya, enjoying each breath, moment by moment, just as you enjoy sliding into or diving into the beautiful, cool waters of the Atlantic, the ocean of enlightenment. All right, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I would love to hear if anybody has any comment, any thought, anything you'd like to share. John. Okay, so, um, you know, there's this marvelous sutra uh, about the Buddha's death. It's the Mahaparinibbana Sutra. It's in the long discourses. And, you know, if you want to just only read one, one in the Pali Canon, that's probably the best because it's full of drama and great storytelling and whatnot. But um, as the Buddha's near his death, he says to his monks, he says, be lamps unto yourselves. He did not say, I am creating a great bureaucracy and, a, a, you know, and putting Mahakashapa at its head. And in fact, Mahakashapa wasn't even there when the, the Buddha died. And so, you know, I think uh, one of the important parts of being a student, and not just a Zen student, but also a citizen is to be the right kind of skeptic, right? And the wrong kind of skeptic would be somebody that applies skepticism sort of uneven, unevenly. And so like, you know, oh, hey, you know, doctors and scientists, what the hell do they know? But no skepticism at all to flat earthers or con artists who are selling colloidal silver to cure the COVID virus or something like that. And, uh, you know, I think sort of the skepticism as a Zen student is, should be sort of at least the same way. If nothing else, you know, spread the skepticism evenly rather than, you know, according to preference. And I don't know, you know, maybe give the teachers a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Although these days I'm not giving teachers much of a benefit of the doubt either. <laughs> So anyway, there you go. No matter what, we're thrown back onto our own practice, right? My therapist, no, it wasn't my therapist, but the person who cuts my hair, I, I finally went after many months and she said to me, you must be so busy. This must be so hard. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, dealing with people's pain and the work that you do. And I say, well, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but mostly I say, do your practice. Okay, Wendy, did you want to say something? I thought I saw a hand. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll, I was adjusting my volume. That's all. Uh, but I, I'll, 
I, I'm very glad to thank you all. It's so wonderful to see you. And Joan, thank you for your, your talk. I connected with it massively. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Um, I really, I appreciated what you said about the, uh, the hot sun on the robes. Cause I, I, uh, where I sit, I sit in a window and it's, it happens to be Eastern facing. And for the whole first period, the clouds happened to be blocking the sun. And then after Canyon, we sat down and the clouds parted and then the sun started hitting me and I started heating up and I'm getting sweaty and tingly and I want to start like, you know, doing this. And at one point I thought, I started going to this whole mental thing. Like, do I break my stillness to close the blinds? Should I change where I sit? Like all this stuff. And then, then I thought, well, you know, I, I'm going to go to the beach later and jump in the water. And that kind of stopped it, you know, it was, and it just kind of like made me, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, this sort of, craving and aversion, this sort of engine driving my life and um, kind of trying to like step off of that wheel and, or, you know what I mean? And so it just kind of became this sort of symbolic little moment of that. So I appreciated you saying that. Well, let me make one little comment. Yes, I do get it. <laughs> and maybe others do too. This, um, we're so tyrannized by preference. Let me make myself just a little more comfortable. Let me, if I just do this. And so there is something about, I mean, my God, it's only 30 minutes, <laughs> you know, deal with it. <laughs> and it's training, whether or not you realize that you are training when you come to sit for 30 minutes and you don't move. Training and not being pushed around by the bully here that says, well, let me just do this to get a little bit more comfortable. And, and John, I, maybe this is the realm of the skeptic you're talking about, you know, of training in I'm right here and I'm watching and I'm feeling and I'm experiencing. There is a power in, you know, what's the most important thing right now? Right now. I, I have to share something. This might open a whole can of worms. But there is, I was talking to a man yesterday who was a meditation teacher. And he was saying to me, you know, AOC gave that speech on the house floor, you know, where she was called, I'm going to say it. She was called by one of her colleagues on the steps of the nation's capital, a fucking bitch. Okay. That's what he, her colleague called her. And it was, it was witnessed. And she got on the Senate floor or the house floor and she's like, look, that is not Okay. And so I was talking to this man who's a meditation teacher and, and we were talking about it and I'm like, you know, that kind of misogyny and let's not, let's not be mesmerized by AOC. I love her. She's fabulous. And the danger there is just like the danger with Mr. Trump. There's such extreme examples. I'm going to, I'm totally biased. <laughs> Trump on one side being an extreme example of greed, hate, and delusion. <laughs> and AOC on the other side is an example of, you know, fabulousness. All right. It's being recorded. I'm out there. I'm sorry. Um, but still the common denominator, and this is us as citizens and us as bodhisattvas, is to not be distracted by AOC or Trump. That, so for men, don't just talk about how fabulous she is listen to what she's actually saying and as bodhisattvas turn it here what kind of misogyny men have you partook <laughs> did you partake of in your life take advantage of the opportunity no matter how subtle it is take advantage of the opportunity to turn it here and my and, and look at that do an inventory and make amends. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, because there's a person in my life, I'm strongly encouraging him to do that, because I can see he's caught, and he's still not getting it, because the problem AOC had with her colleague was even with his apology, he was still making excuses, justifying his behavior. This is privilege speaking, and it's, it's got its tentacles around us. 
to start making excuses. No, what is it to just own it and say, yeah, I've done that. That's freedom, not just for the objects of your misogyny, but for you yourself. So my friend, who's a cool guy, he just immediately started saying, well, you know, do you think women also, there's some responsibility there? Because if they're, they're not part of it, then they're just victims. And I'm like, stop, just stop. <laughs> Can't we just say right now, provisionally, this is the more, most important thing? Of course, it's a broader topic. Of course, women, we have our stuff. But right now, can't we just start right here? And so this is, this is where I went, Chikam, with what you said. Right now, what's the most important thing? And as a bodhisattva in training, please, the most important thing is not, let me just make a little adjustment, you know? No, the more, most important thing is for this 30-minute window of opportunity, of possibility, I am not going to move. I'm going to stay right here unmoving. That's a clear, brave decision. And that's what I'm asking of every man in my life right now. You men. <laughs> Just right now, with faith and with trust in the wider container, we're in a process. But right now, own it. No excuses, just own it. And your own sovereignty, because it's horizontal, means that you're going to be okay. It's not going to be like this forever, but right now, boy, Kate, maybe you shouldn't rescue me. Let me just stop right there. There may be people who want to respond to that, but I'm... No, thank you, Joan. And you know, it, I think on such a bigger level, the, the, this reckoning, the great pause is allowing this space for a lot of it. It's not um, a surprise that this, this is coming up in many ways, you know, and I think, I think, you know, on the horizon really is a reckoning with, you know, the colonization of this land and the, the complete, you know, um, just, you know, taking on a certain framework that we have we're living with we we're in it you know you know god bless america you know and it's um and i, I mean for me that's I, there's many reckonings that i take um you know i mean obviously with black lives matter that's that's one you know and i'm 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 running a class this fall and I'm really going to try to shift my teaching on this to anti-racism. I don't even quite understand what it is, but I'm going to do my best. But, but what I'm saying is that um, I think there's another reckoning and I think it's a broader reckoning perhaps with um, how we've treated the greater environment. You know, they call it ecological thinking. It's a reckoning of, I haven't done that either. There's a lot of reckonings here, and um, and it's it's kind of an amazing time. And I appreciate the Zen Zoom because it, it it's like it's in line with the fact that we are in a different time. And um, and I'm so happy to be part of the Sunday morning service. You know, it's like a little dance. I love that. And, um, and it's wonderful to see everyone, so. You and Jikan uh, were talking about the robes and I appreciate that a lot, I can, I can imagine. Um, and I'm just sitting here though, I think my, my thought this morning kind of similar was, you know, okay, I was feeling out whether or not I felt good enough to sit up for the full hour or if I should lay down after we did Kinhin, should I just stay laying down the whole time? So I was like, all right, I'm going to see if I can stay seated the whole time. So I've been feeling pretty good in half hour chunks, you know, a little bit of discomfort is okay. And that's kind of where I am with the last couple minutes, but nothing that I can't not sit through. So I went, all right, we'll see if we can do the hour. And it was interesting, Jikan, because I had the same kind of feeling with all of a sudden the sun was just full force. And 
it wasn't uncomfortable. It actually felt so, I had the opposite reaction. It actually felt so warming because I haven't sat up by this window in, in a while um, at this hour. And I went, oh, wow. And I just had that, it was nothing more than just, oh. And I don't know, I, I'm connecting that somehow to everything that everybody's been saying in a very undigested way. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it really is so interesting um the shifts the adjustments that have to met that have to happen but then also how you we as a sangha and we as individuals can just hold that line and and find that steadiness um each and every time so it's just with service with sitting it's it's so interesting and humbling thanks so this you may call it digested undigested, but I want to make a case for the bodily wisdom of sensing something, some connection. You know, you had a different experience from Jikan, just kind of naming that. It's just like Dogen's, like this is what's happening, like naming it. It's a kind of truth-telling. You know, um, Dogen's saying the eyes are horizontal and the nose is vertical. When I'm talking about this naturalness, it's just naming it, like what is it right now? Telling the truth about what is it right now? Like how many times have we bypassed that because we think, and you know, John, maybe this is back to what you were saying about skeptics, about being an independent thinker right in the midst of the truth of interconnectedness. You know, that we can, there's sovereignty here of, you know, my experience is actually a little bit different. You know, and I'm not trying necessarily to be an outlier. I'm just having a different experience here. And that that is a beautiful contribution to a real process, you know. And I think maybe, John, what you're saying too is this skepticism as a practice, you know, within the truth of interconnectedness can become a kind of freshness. You know, but but still, still, you know, not... Paul Haller, these were all the names my teachers used to call me. <laughs> and it's all instructive, it's helpful. Or he, well, he didn't really call me a name. He, he used to say to me, Joan, because I would be so suspicious of the San Francisco Zen Center corporate establishment. <laughs> you know, I was always like, uh, who's the ultimate authority here? You know, what's really going on? And, and, um, and he was like, Joan, why don't you just like dive in? Just, you know. And so I was always, in my training, I always veered more toward John, that skepticism. And that was okay. That was just where I was. And I see, I can see now, you know, years later, oh, that's the practice of that healthy skepticism, but without withholding. And it is back to that meditation of seeing and being seen, we do every now and then, of this dance of self and other. How can you own your own experience, breath in the body, what you're sensing, being in your own seat and open to another? So being in your own seat without isolating, without withholding. And then how can you open to another without losing your seat, you know, without being sucked in? So it's a practice. This is a practice. And a practice of intimacy. Yeah, and I think I think it's a really helpful image, this horizontal vertical. And Wendy, that's just so awesome that you just naturally did that in this age of Zoom. Because Kate, yes, it is true that being on Zoom, it's like this is the realm we're in. And we're constantly reminded, wear your mask when you go out. Maintain the six feet, you know. Do these practices within the reality of pandemic. It's not going away. No matter what we read, no matter what we hear, it's still with us. And the last thing, that, anyway, that I'll say, is that it also reminds me of Tassajara Road. The road into Tassajara can either be a major inconvenience, it takes so long to get there, because it's rutted, it's dirt, it doesn't have guardrails, it's very steep, it's very narrow in some places, it's incredibly scenic. But as I said to my dad, I was driving my dad in. This was way back in like 2004. I'm driving him in and, and I'm like, Dad, look how beautiful it is. He's sitting in the passenger seat and he's like, yep, it's beautiful. <laughs> he didn't 
he was keeping his eyes on the road. I mean, it's like spectacular in the way that, you know, you could equally say terrifying. And for me, the road into Tassajara was always, folks, this is what Tassajara is. You know, the road in, the way in is the thing itself. It's great, a great reminder. It's great preparation for this is it. You're in it already. Okay, any last words, thoughts? Before we all dive into the ocean? Been talking about it, let's do it. Can we dive into the hot tub instead? He goes back to mute. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for being here. Um, take good care of yourselves. Next week, coming up Thursday, Shokuchi is coming back to um, continue the, the the exploration, the study of the four foundations of mindfulness through the body, experientially through the body. And then next Sunday, what's happening next Sunday? Does anybody remember? What's today? Today's the 26th. Oh, we have a, oh, I think Lori Belser is giving the talk. We have a whole series of guest teachers coming up, including two who I haven't added yet. Um, Shinzan Jose Palma, who's the teacher, he's born in Mexico. And he's uh, the founder of a, a group in Southern California. He's going to be speaking coming up soon. And then um, uh, one of the Japanese priests who I met at the, o the um, Oklahoma action last, last um, August, who um, has a, a sangha in Los Angeles. Very kind of traditional Japanese uh, Zen practice, but he's very, he's exploring being around Americans. So I'm really excited for you to meet him. He's, he's going to be coming in a few weeks. So lots happening um, before we take our summer break, our summer's rest. That'll be as we usually do the last week of August and the first week of September. So between now and then, get as much practice, formal practice in as you can, come as much as you can. Um, I'm still doing Doksan one-on-one, and I'd love to meet with you if you haven't done that in a while. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.